Well, good morning, church. Let's go ahead and stand together. We had a little hold up this morning. Will you turn to your neighbor and just welcome them to church? If you're not afraid. Here we go. Who's excited to be in the house of the Lord? Who breaks the power? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of Glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole and leaves his presence?
last night together as a church family.
There's nothing better than you. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Whole church telling this morning, oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing, nothing.
My heart needs a surgeon. My soul found a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again. I'll run to the Father. I fall in the grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. My heart found a surgeon. My soul found a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again and again and again. If you're like me and you're human, you came in here this morning. Maybe some of you feel like your heart's just been torn apart from you this past year. You've gone through some heart shifts, and I'm here to tell you, the greatest surgeon is Jesus Christ and what he can do in your life. That's why God sent Jesus here to take that pain. whatever you're facing this morning. We're going to sing it again here in just a moment. He wants to give you peace. So much peace that you won't understand it. He wants to take your hurt and heal it. He wants you to fall into his grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Favor that you didn't deserve, but he gave it willingly to you. that whatever we face, we run to the Father. This morning, somebody needs to hear that. It's time to run to the Father. You've been running away for way too long. Home is where the Father is. This is the morning.
You know, there's a story that we talk about often about the prodigal son. And um, as you think about that story, I think that I can surmise something about that father. I believe that the type of father that he was, that once the son came back, if he'd have took off and went away again, the father would have been just the same. Because a loving father loves. Doesn't matter how many times you mess up, it doesn't matter how many times you've wandered away. You may be here this morning, you may think, well, it's just a, it's a continual cycle. You may be here and you may feel that you're far from God. But you say, I, I, I've, I've ran to him before, but now I'm ashamed because I just continually, when I run to him and, and then everything's good and then I just, I, I wander off. Can I tell you that it doesn't matter to God? That song says, I run to the Father again and again and again and again and again. He says, as long as you have a heart and you will run to me, my arms are wide open. My arms are wide open. You can run to me no matter how many times you've messed up. No matter how many times you've wandered off. He's still right where he said he would be. Just waiting for you to come home. Father, I thank you for your love for us. That while we were yet still sinners, you died for us. And God, I pray that if there's someone here today. Father, they feel as if that they've wandered away just one too many times. God, may this song resonate in their heart. May your word resonate in their heart to know that they can run back to you. God, that it doesn't matter how many times they've left. God, you are still there. You're still the same God. You've still got your arms open wide saying, run to me. Father, I pray that you will speak grace into our hearts to know that your grace is sufficient for us. God, we love you and we thank you for your never-ending, never-changing love for us. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Look at somebody and let them know that you're glad that they're at Gateway Church this morning. We are so excited that you're here. Uh, this is the month of February. How many people know what February represents? Anybody? What happens in February? Yes, I, I, so I had, I never thought that I would get the same answer that I got first service, but I said that and one of the first things that came out was Groundhog Day. Um, he said that him and his wife had been married 45, but she said this would probably be the last one uh, because he thought of Groundhog Day before he thought of Valentine's Day. Uh, now, I was surprised to hear Groundhog Day again over here. Uh, I, was, I wasn't surprised. Uh, I was surprised that I didn't hear someone yell out, it's Super Bowl, Super Bowl week, um, Super Bowl month. Uh, next week, next Sunday is, is the Super Bowl. And for those of us who, who are um, just the town of Cincinnati fans, 
I said the, the Bearcats went to the, to the final four this year in the college football playoffs. The Bengals uh, are going to the Super Bowl. And so you know that I'm a big baseball fan. So you know what that means for Cincinnati, right? Probably nothing. That probably means absolutely nothing. Another year of misery. Uh, but so next Sunday night, we're going to get together like we have done uh, for many years, uh, minus COVID. Uh, we're going to get together, and we have a, uh, a chili and soup cook-off. So if you think that you can cook, uh, you can be put to the challenge next week. Uh, if you can't cook, or maybe you don't do chili or soup, you can bring a dessert. Uh, we won't vote on desserts because all desserts are good. Uh, but we will uh, just get together and have a good time. We'll put the, the Super Bowl up on the big screen here. We'll have it downstairs and different places throughout the building. Uh, but it's going to be a good time. It starts at 6 o'clock. So we're looking uh, forward to you being here and being there uh, for that on that Sunday. Now, there are uh, a, a few people here that they're not going to be with us because they're going to the Super Bowl and I told them that my feelings was really hurt because they're leaving their pastor to here to, to uh, just have to watch it on TV while they're experiencing it. And uh, so, but it didn't help me. They still didn't give me a ticket. So, um, but we're uh, excited about that. Also, we want you to know that downstairs, if you, maybe you didn't come in uh, in time or you came straight upstairs, uh, downstairs we have uh, about 14 or 15 different eight, uh, eight and a half by 11 uh, eight by eleven and a half. I don't know. One, eight. Thank you. Eight and a half by eleven. A, a piece of paper. All right. And uh, there are different life groups and service groups that are listed down there, and uh, it tells you information about them. Our life groups will start. We'll kick them off next Sunday on Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, so there's different things down there. There's ways that uh, different groups you can meet with happening all different nights of the week. Uh, there's also service groups. Uh, that you can be a part of, such as uh, our meals ministry or our ministry to widows and uh, community outreach and just a bunch of things. So we would love for you uh, to get involved. Uh, this week we're starting a series uh, on the topic, Check Your Selves. Now, you're thinking, you're looking at it thinking, that's not how you spell that. You notice there's a, there's a space between your and yourselves. And, and uh, what this is, it's a leadership series. Uh, so you think, okay, it's, it's the month of February, you should be doing uh, a series on relationships. Well, anytime that, that I think about anything that has to do with leadership, I have to look at it through the lens of relationship. Uh, you have to. If you want to be a great leader, you have to sharpen your relational skills. If you want to have a great marriage, it's all about relationships. If you want to have a strong walk with God, it's about relationships. If you want to be a great parent, if you want to be a great employee, if you want to be a great employer, it's all about relationship. But it's also about leadership. Leadership is all about having relationship. It's about connecting hearts. And no one did that better than King David. Uh, he wasn't perfect, and I'm glad that the Bible shows us all of his mess-ups. I'm glad that the Bible shows us that, that even King David wasn't perfect. But David had a heart for the Lord. He had a heart for people. And I believe that it was his heart that made him have the ability to connect with people. There's a lot written about David in the Bible. There's a lot of things that, that and we learn about David that he was anointed by God. 
He wasn't perfect, and we'll look at some of those shortcomings next week. But when we look at the life of David, there's things from his life that we need to learn. We need to learn from his good and from his bad. And so in this series, for the next three weeks, we're going to look at things that have to deal with our heart, that deal with ourself. Today, I want to look at self-sacrifice. What is self-sacrifice? It's to live a life putting others before you. It's being willing to sacrifice for those around you. That is the type of life that David lived. In Psalm chapter 78, verse 72, he said, He cared for them, what's first, with a true heart and led them with skillful hands. Now, John Maxwell, one of the, the greatest gurus on, on leadership, uh, what he says about being a leader is that a leader has to cultivate their heart. That's the number one most important thing. I mean, we think it's about skill. We think it's about our personality. We think it's about, you know, uh, our vision. But this says that David, before it mentions anything about his skillful hands, it says he cared for them with a pure heart. If we're going to lead people, we have to cultivate our heart. It's the most important thing. People will follow heart. You may not be the most skilled person. You may not have the best personality. Uh, you may ha have all of these things, but if you have the right heart, if people can see your heart, then it makes a difference and people will follow. We have to have a self-sacrificing heart. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15, it says, And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. So Bethlehem was David's hometown. And so he's sitting there, and he can see, and he's thinking about this well. This well that he probably drank from as a little boy. And he's remembering how good the water was. And he's thinking, man, if I could just have a drink of water from that well, if I could just get some water, because it's such good water. And he's sitting there, and he's longing for this water. And so the next verse in verse 16 says, Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, and they drew water out of the well by Bethlehem that was by the gate, and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord. And so what we have here is, is we have three of David's friends. And they are, know that he's longing for this water. So, the, so they break through. They risk their life. They get this water. They bring it to David and say, here, king. When David gets that water, he realizes what those men have done for him. And it's so precious to him that he, he can't even drink the water. So he pours it out. He gave it to God. He saw that these men sacrificed their life to bring him what his heart was longing for, a cold glass of water from that well. We think about that story, 
And if we could have hearts connected to us like they were connected to David, what difference would it make? But here's the deal. Before they would ever do this for David, before these men would would ever do anything for David, David would do things for these men. The Bible says that we love him, why? Because he first loved us. Jesus modeled love for us to imitate. Jesus sacrificed first. And so now it's for us to sacrifice. We think that these men, I mean, it says they were mighty men. But can I tell you they weren't always? They weren't mighty to start with. But David poured his life into them. And when he did that, he would in turn see that they would pour their life out for him. Here's some thoughts about sacrifice. The first thing that we need to sacrifice is we need to sacrifice your present preference. We need to pe- meet people where they are. Jesus met us where we were. He came down to where we were and then lifted us up. These men, let let me show you where they were coming from. So David was running from Saul. Saul was king at the time, but David was going to replace Saul because Saul wasn't self-sacrificing, he was self-serving. David was self-sacrificing, and that's why the, that God said that he has a heart like mine. He'll sacrifice. He'll lay down his life. Saul, on the other hand, was all about himself. We can't be self-serving Christians. We're called to be selfless. So we have David. He's on the run. He's going to be king. God has passed up Saul. He's anointed David as king, and Saul is threatened by David. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 and 2, it says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became captain over them. So here we have David. He's running from Saul, running for his life. He's trying to escape. Now, how many people know that that if you're trying to escape something, you're much better off alone? You're much better off doing it by yourself if you're trying to escape. You say, well, what are you talking about? How many people saw the movie Fugitive? Anybody? Thank you. I've got some old souls in here. Harrison Ford was trying to escape. He was on the run. And he had to do it by himself. He didn't want to be around a bunch of people. So here we have David. He's trying to escape. His family finds out. And they all run to his house. So he's trying to escape. And they're wanting to have a family reunion. They're bringing attention. And then it says... Not just his family, but 400 men. 400 men. It doesn't say mighty men. 
It says 400 men who were distressed, who were in debt, who were bitter, who were discontented. Distressed, that means pain. To be in debt, that means they were poor. To be discontented, they were concerned and worried about and upset about their past. And so we look at these men who come to David in this moment. And we see it's a picture of us in need of a king. When Jesus came and, and met us where we were, we all had pain in our soul. We were all poor. We're all poor in, in some area in life. We were discontented. Well, we had a past. We wondered if the, if the mistakes of our past would keep us from having a future. And so in that moment, David looked beyond their pain. He looked beyond their poverty. He looked beyond their past. And he started pouring. He said he became commander over them. He started pouring into them. And it was because of that that they would become mighty men. We think about what David did for these men, and it's a representation of what Jesus did for us. Jesus was always meeting people, these kind of people, everywhere that he went. He didn't go to them and say, okay, now you get it together, and then you come find me when you've got it all worked out and you've got it all figured out. That's not what Jesus did. It's not what David did. David said, okay, I see where you're at. I see what you're going through. And he started pouring into them. He started lifting them up. Listen, there's so many people who feel worthless, that they feel like they have no value. They, they, they need someone to show them that they have worth. They need someone to come where they are, to give up their preference, to come where they are and to show them dignity. You see, if, if, if you sow dignity, you're going to reap loyalty. And that's exactly what happened here with David. Love sows dignity and reaps loyalty. So show it to me in Scripture. Romans 5, 8 says, But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What was he doing? He was sowing dignity. And because of that, we follow him. He modeled it for us greater than David even modeled it. When these men brought the water to David, he poured it out. Jesus poured out his blood. And because Jesus did that, he lifted us up. He told us that we're worth something. And because of that, we can follow him. And we do it wholeheartedly. Because he died for us, we live for him. He sacrificed his wants. It wasn't about his preference, because if you remember the story, Jesus didn't want to die. That wasn't his preference. He said, if you will, let this thing pass from me. But he said, it's, it's not about my preference. I'm going to do what I need to do. 
I'm going to sacrifice. And because of that, because he went to the cross, and now he says, because I went to the cross, will you take up your cross and follow me? And in this story, that's what these three men did. They said, because you invested in us, David, because you believed in us, David, because we were in pain, we were in poverty, we were concerned about our past, but despite of all of that, you sowed into us, you poured into us. We're going to be loyal to you. We're going to be loyal to you, even if it means risking our lives to just get you a cup of water. David will do it. What would it be like if we had people connected to our hearts like that? What would it mean in, in, in our life? What would it mean in our homes? What would it mean in our, in, in our church? What would it mean in our community? What would it mean in our workplace? If we were willing to serve one another, like David served these men, if we would be self-sacrificing, how would it change our lives in our world? You say, Pastor, what do I need to sacrifice? The first thing you need to sacrifice is you need to be willing to, to also sacrifice your time. You've got to wait on people. It takes time. It takes time. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 44, it says, love is patient. How many people say that you have all kinds of patience? Anybody? How many people say you have no patience? Hey, I've got some true people here. I've been around you, I know. I mean, you're the kind of people that fast food is not fast enough. If, it's, if it takes 30 seconds, it should have only taken 15. You have no patience. Patience it's tough. But what patience means is, what that word means is, when it says love is patient, another way to say that is, is love is long-suffering. Long-suffering. It takes time. We have uh, a few couples who either have just recently had a child or they're getting ready to have a child. And it seems like that, that almost always one of the, the first things that they say is, 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 I'm just waiting for them to sleep through the night. I'm just waiting for them to sleep through the night. Now, before I had a child, they used to think, oh, that's so nice. They're, they're, they want to make sure their child gets enough sleep. No, it wasn't that at all. They weren't concerned about that kid. They wanted sleep. And so you're thinking, when will it be that they're going to not keep me up at night? Anybody there? Can I tell you? It's about when they're 30. That's when they'll quit keeping you up at night. Kids are meant to keep you up at night. I mean, as they get older, it just looks different. But you know what? Love is patient. Love is patient. And you keep doing it over and over again. Why? Because you're long-suffering. Why? Because you care about them. That's your child. 
Listen, I was 45 years old. And if I was traveling somewhere, I would have to, when I got there, I would have to call my mom and tell her we made it. I was so thankful when they came up to find my friends or Life 360 because when I would pull in, it would just pop up on her screen. Before I realized that it did that, and before I set it up that way, I finally got to the point because I found out that my dad is a, he is a stalker when it comes to find my friends. Actually, I think my whole family is. And I would call and I would say, I'm home. And she said, I know, your father's already told me. Love is patient. If you're going to be a great leader, if you're going to be a great father, if you're going to be a great mother, if you're going to win someone to Christ, if you're going to disciple someone, you have to be patient. You have to be long-suffering. It takes a while to cultivate what you need to cultivate. And so here you have these men. David's pouring into them. He's trying to get them to where they need to be. One of these, these men's name was Abishai. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 23, 17 and 18, it says, these things were done by three mighty men, and Abishai was chief among them. This guy, we're going to find out that, that he was rough. He was... He wasn't polished. It's the same guy, one of the same guys that, that went through the Philistine camp risking their life just so David could have a cup of water. You know what? He didn't care. He was rough. He was angry. He had a quick temper. He was ready to, to kill anything that frustrated him. Some of you have got people popping up in your mind right now. I know that person. He was that way when David and him went into a, a cave where Saul was. In 1 Samuel 26, 8, it says, Then said Abishai to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I'm not going to have to do it twice. I'm going to take him out. Abishai says, hey, look, this is God. This is God. He has delivered him into your hand. We get to kill him. And please, let me do it. I want to be the one. And David said, oh, no, no, we're not going to do it that way. You ever had somebody in your life, they were just ready just to go crazy on somebody, and you have to say, hey, 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 let's just, let's, we're not going to act like that. David said, we're, we're not going to do that. We don't murder kings. It's not the way we're going to respond. I need you just to, to, to calm down, Abishai. We're not going to treat Saul that way. In that moment, God was using David to pour into Abishai. Abishai wasn't a finished product. 
But David would keep pouring into him. It takes time. It takes time. But one day, this man would end up saving David's life. There's something we need to understand about love and about sacrificing. Love develops and disciplines, but it never discards. In that moment, David was wanting to discipline Abishai. Abishai, we're not going to do that. He was also wanting to develop him into a mighty man, but he didn't discard him. You know, when people start getting on our nerves, when you've poured into them and, and you feel like they just don't get it, in that moment, because of our human nature, it is so easy to just throw them away. But we can't. We have to wait. You want to be a great leader? You have to wait. You have to be patient. You have to continue to water it. To fertilize it. To be long-suffering. You say, well, pastor, you don't know how long I, I, I've been waiting for my spouse to, to straighten up. You don't know how long I've been, I've been waiting for my kids to get it right. You don't know how long I've been trying to, to get my marriage where it needs to be. Love is patient. Love is long-suffering. And when you wait... You'll see the fruit of it. This happened in David's life. David was in battle one day. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 16. It says, uh, Ishbi Ishbi-Benob was a descendant of the giants. It's one of Goliath's sons. His bronze was spearhead, his, his bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to to kill him. And the Bible tells us, when we continue to read, that in that moment, Abishai rushed in, he killed this giant. I bet you in that moment, it started to come clear for David. I bet David was saying, man, I'm glad I didn't just throw you away. I'm glad I, I didn't give up on you. When you went crazy in that cave and I had to, to, to discipline you and try to, to develop you, I'm glad in that moment I, I didn't say, well, I've just had enough with you, Abishai. You're going to have to go find somebody else because I don't have time to babysit you all the time. I bet David was glad that in that moment that he was long-suffering. Why? Because it takes time to produce good fruit. It takes time to to produce great children. It takes time to cultivate a healthy, life-giving marriage. You see, we want it quick. We live in a, a, in a microwave world. We want it quick, we want it now, and we want it the way we want it to be. God, if you can't do it now, then I'm done. It takes time. It takes effort. 
If you want to grow a corn or tomatoes or peppers, or you don't just walk out back and throw down the seed and say, okay, and come out tomorrow, and up oh, it's not there. Okay, I'm done. No, it takes time. You've got to care for it. But can I tell you that anything that is valuable is going to take time. You have to be willing to sacrifice it. Next, you need to be willing to sacrifice your position. You need to serve people. Do you know what they said about David? They, they said David served people, not himself. In other words, David came down from himself. Here he is, anointed king, chosen by God, called by Samuel, celebrated by all, gifted above all. But at the end of the day, he had everything going for him. But at the end of the day, he served people. Acts chapter 13, 36 says, For David served his generation by the will of God. David served his generation. Man, that's what I want us to do. I want us to serve our generation. I want us to serve the generation behind us. I want us to win the generation that's following us. If I've heard it once, and I've heard people complain about this generation, they put this generation down. They talk about all the, the way that their faults and their flaws. You know what? You know what complaining is going to do? Absolutely nothing. You know what you need to do? What we need to do? We need to stop complaining and we need to start serving. You have to serve what you long to save. If your marriage is in jeopardy, serve it. If your job is in jeopardy, serve it. Serve every relationship that you have that you long to save. Every relationship that's in jeopardy. You want your relationships to grow and to be better and to be life-giving? Serve them. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as ransom for many. In the same way that David, who was above all, king, served the people below him, Jesus did the exact same thing. He said, listen, I didn't come to be served, but I come to serve. I come to save what needed saving. I came to rescue what needed rescued. You say, well, pastor, how do I serve? I don't know what to do. The first thing to do is just start listening. Listen, listen to the longings of those people around you. David was connected to people. David come down from himself, connected with people. And he could hear where they were hurting and what they were needing. And they could hear what he was needing and where he was hurting. We can't always just be hearing ourselves. 
about ourselves. We have to hear those people around us. We need to hear our kids. We need to hear our spouse. We need to hear our God. We don't just want to just, God, I just hear me, my needs, my wants. In this moment, when David wanted a cup of water, they knew it. It says that, that, that he was longing for it in his heart. He was close enough to him, and they were close enough to him to know that he was longing for this cup of water. Why? Because they were connected. You want to serve? Hear and watch what God can do. And when you do that, when you connect with him, and when you connect with others, he has a promise. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It says, when you connect with me, and then you connect with other people like I long for you to do, he says, when you do that, I'll bring you what you desire. He said, I'll bring you what you desire, even if it's a cold cup of water from a well that you're longing for. We can't be self-serving. We can't always be looking to satisfy ourselves. But when we live a self-sacrificing life, it allows God to bring us the desires of our heart. You want to be a leader? You say, well, pastor, I'm not called to be a leader. Wrong. It's wrong. You've made a decision to follow Christ. You're called to be a leader. He said, go into all nations and make disciples. Make disciples. How do you do that? What does that mean? That's leading. It's leading. God said, I want you to be a leader. He said, I want you to sacrifice. You ever had a boss that maybe you used to work with them? And they would, you know, you were there working side by side. You were getting your hands dirty, and, and then they get a promotion. And when they get that promotion, they just disappear. And the only place you ever find them is sitting in their office, feet up on the desk. I'm above you now. How long and how much respect do you think that boss gets? Not very much. But if you ever had a boss that would come down out of their office and work with you or do work that 
Maybe you, you ended up not even having to do it because they did it, even though it was your job. How much respect do you think that boss gets? Why? Because when you sacrifice for people, they see that. They see your heart. And then they follow you. There may be people in your life that that you know need to be in a life-giving church like this. People in your life that you know need to, to hear the good news and for God to come into their lives and to make a difference. You want to change and you want to lead them to Christ and to a life-giving church? You got to serve them. You have to serve them. You got to get your hands dirty. You've got to sacrifice. You've got to give them their time, your time. You've got to be long-suffering. Time after time after time. And it's not easy. It may be difficult. Because patience is not natural. You want to lead people. You want to make a difference. Check yourself. Are you self-sacrificing? Or is it all about you? I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. Here's how we're going to close this service. As always, this altar is always open. If you need prayer, you just need to, to, to come and pour your heart out to God. We'll never stop you. We'll pray with you. But whether it's at this altar or whether it's standing at your seat, whether it's kneeling, Whatever works for you, what I'm asking you to do this morning is to check yourself. Ask yourself, am I self-serving like Saul or am I self-sacrificing like David? Because that depends on what kind of leader you're going to be. That depends and determines whether God's going to be able to use you or if he's going to have to pass over you and find someone else. I don't know about you, but I want to be used by God because there's nothing more rewarding than seeing those that are lost find what we've found. So wherever you need to do it, I'm going to ask you to check yourself. Ask God, God, what am I? And if you're being honest with yourself and honest with God and and you say, you know what, I I believe I I lean toward being more self-serving than self-sacrificing, then repent. Repent. And then ask God to change your heart to be willing to serve those around you.
So this altar is open. We're going to pray. Whatever it takes, check yourself. Allow God to check you. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you this morning. God, I'm so thankful for everyone gathered here. God, I know that sometimes in our life it becomes so easy to become so consumed by ourself. God, it's so easy to become self-serving. God, not to think about those people around us. But God, I want a heart like David. God, I want a heart that longs to make a difference. That longs to, to lead people. God, if there's those here listening or those seated among us today that they feel worthless, they feel depreciated, God, I pray that you will use me or use someone around them to serve them, to lift them up. Those who are distressed, those who are in pain, those who are poor in spirit. God, use us to lift them up. God, help us to sow dignity, to show them their worth. God, for people in our lives, may we be willing to serve them at our job, in our community, in our church, in our family. God, help us understand that what we long to save, we have to serve. God, change my heart. I want to be more like you. In Jesus' name, can we sing this chorus together? Precious cornerstone, sure foundation. You are faithful till the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus. We believe you're all. Let the right. 
righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns. Let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives. We believe you're all to us. You're all to us. You're all to us. not he needs to be I pray that something was said today that will spark something within you that will change your life from February 6 2022 going forward that your heart will become a self self-sacrificing heart we love you thank you for being here uh, don't forget our um, expo um, downstairs. We also have a, uh, we found a set of keys. It looks like somebody's house keys uh, with a Cincinnati Reds Hall of Fame uh, keychain. Uh, looks like house keys, so you might want to check and see if you have yours, if that's yours. Uh, Dink has them back there at the back. Um, we love you. Don't forget the life group stuff downstairs. There's also life groups where you can serve. You know, it would be a perfect thing to have a self-sacrificing heart and sign up to serve. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.